0: Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we continue our sermon series, The Love Languages of God. Spend some time with the one you love and love the one you're with. Join us for the message, Loving Through Presence. Good morning and welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. We know, sometimes you just need to spend time with the lo- one you love and to love the one you're with. I think I remember some sort of a rock song that said something like that to the effect. But stay tuned for our message later, Loving Through Presence.
1: Listen now for the Word of God. Reading from the book of Job, the second chapter, verses 11 and 13. Now... When Job's three friends heard of all these troubles who had come upon him, each of them set out from his home. Eliphaz, the Terminite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namathite. They met together to go and console him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept aloud. They tore their robes and threw dust in the air upon their heads. They sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Reading now from the book of Hebrews, Chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of God for the people of God.
0: From a distance, Job's friends could see the wretched state that he was in. He was sitting on the ground, dirty and disheveled. He was covered from head to toe with itching, oozing, running sores. He'd even taken a broken pot shirt and was using it to scratch away at least some of the itchiness that was inflicting him. If you remember the story of Job, God and the devil make a bet. And so the devil, or Satan, says, I I bet you that Job will not still praise you if you take away his wealth, if you take away his health, or if you take away his children. And so in a series of disasters, Job did just that. He lost his wealth, he lost his children, and then he lost his health. And so his three friends have come to see him. But it was the look on Job's face that most disturbed Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Naamathite. Job's face showed this look of total devastation. His health was wrecked, his wealth was gone, but it was his children. In that moment, Job was the personification of the great matriarch Rachel as described by the prophet Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. The text says that Job's wife was sitting away from him, too angry at God even to weep. Well, this entire scene so disturbed Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar that before they had even reached their friend, They began the mourning rituals that were common in ancient Middle Eastern society. They themselves began to to weep. They tore their robes and they threw dust upon their heads. And when they reached Job, the three friends knew that there was nothing to be said. So they simply sat with him in the dust and ashes as if keeping vigil against the dark. They sat with him in silence for seven days and seven nights because there was simply no comfort that could be conveyed with words. So they gave Job the only gift they had to give, and that was the gift of presence. Now, there are times when words can bring great healing. I was thinking about a very poignant scene in the last Harry Potter film. I haven't talked about Harry Potter in a while, so I had to get one in. (laughs) There's a very poignant scene in the last Harry Potter film where young Harry is reunited with his deceased teacher and mentor, Professor Dumbledore, who had given his life to protect Harry in a previous film. Well, during this encounter, Professor Dumbledore Dumbledore had this to say to Harry, I've always prized myself on my ability to turn a phrase. Words are, in my not so humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic, capable of both inflicting injury and remedying it. And indeed, when we grieve, it's often the words of our late loved ones that we long to hear once more, to hear their voice. But more than anything, we long for their very presence in our lives. And our presence, to be simply with each other, is so often the greatest gift that we have to give Well, starting last week, we began an exploration of the loved languages of God through the lens of the vows of membership for the United Methodist Church. And as part of the rite of confirmation, a person makes a public profession of faith and makes several solemn vows. And these vows include the following. As a member of this congregation, will you faithfully participate in its ministries by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? And so these five things, prayers, presence, gift, service, witness, are ways that we express our love and faithfulness to the church. But they're also ways that we can show our love and faithfulness to God. And each of these five vows, they play a vital role in our ongoing relationship with God, and each is a path into deepening our discipleship. And so what we're going to be doing during the sermon series is to look at the United Methodist Vows of Membership and explore then how they relate to love of God and love of neighbor and love of self. And we'll also be making connection between these five vows and the five love languages as found in the 1992 bestseller by Counselor Gary Chapman, entitled The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Last. And the premise of this book is that different actions make different individuals feel the most loved and valued. And last week, we explored what Chapman calls words of encouragement, that is, verbal expressions of love and appreciation. And we made the connection that words of encouragement correspond to the vow of prayer. We love others through the medium of language with our words of encouragement, and we love God through the medium of prayer, the words that we use to talk and communicate with God. And so today we're going to look at the love language known as quality time. Because some people feel the most loved and valued when someone spends significant amount of quality time and giving them their undivided attention. And Job's friends showed their love for him through quality time. By simply being present, they gave him the gift of their time. And so we can also show our love for God in the same way. We can be present to God and we can spend quality time with God. Now, God knows how to communicate in all these five languages, including quality time. But what does quality time with God even look like? We know what it looks like when we're with a person. What does it look like when we're with God? And here I think we have something to learn from our evangelical siblings. I know it's shocking, but I do think that there are some things that conservative Christians have to teach us. Which is, by the way, why it so saddens me the United Methodist Church is experiencing a split because I think conservative, moderate, and progressive Christians have much to teach and share with each other. And the upcoming disaffiliations are only gonna make that harder. But unfortunately, we've come to a place now where amicable and perhaps not so amicable separation is our only real choice that's left. But one thing, though, that is emphasized in a lot of evangelical churches, and I think we would do well to emulate, is that they often encourage their members to take time to just be with God on a daily basis, sometimes referring to this time as quiet time with God. And this could look different for different people, but it usually consist of prayer, meditation, and the reading of Scripture or other spiritual reading And it can last anywhere from five minutes to several hours, both depending upon what kind of time you have and your own disposition, because we know some people sit quietly better than others. But everyone needs to do this sometime. And so last week we linked the vow of prayer with a love language of words of encouragement, that this is how we love God with language. And we do this by prayer, by speaking to God, whether our words come from uh, our own words or their words from a written prayer. But after we talk, we need to listen to God. We need to be quiet, to get quiet. As the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. Or as the great St. Augustine of Hippo wrote, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. You see, God can speak to us through the words of Scripture or spiritual reading, and God can speak to us in the quietness of our own hearts. But this takes time. God longs for intimacy with us. Christ said, listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. So just as spending time with a loved one... um, over a meal without phones and distractions is a great way to love others through quality time. Christ, too, wants to sit down together and, in essence, share a good long meal with us. And so to assist us in getting in the habit of spending regular quality time with God, we're going to be inaugurating a new program starting January 1st. We're calling it New Year, New Testament, New You. What I want to do is challenge the congregation and whoever else wants to join in to a year-long commitment to read the entire New Testament during the year 2023. Next year, 2023, there will be 260 weekdays. That is 260 days, weekdays, other than not counting Saturdays and Sundays. Well, it just so happens that the New Testament consists of 260 chapters. 260 days, 260 chapters, and so if a person reads just one chapter a day each weekday, they'll have read the entire New Testament by the end of the year. And as you recall, back in 2020, I made another challenge. I challenged everyone in this congregation to read, in the year 2020, at least one book on race or racism, and so many of you picked up the challenge. But the challenge of reading the New Testament in a year will require a greater commitment of time but I think you'll find it very, very rewarding. And we'll have more details later about this, but start thinking and praying now about whether to discern whether God is calling you to take up the challenge. And I wanted to inaugurate this challenge because I think spending quality time with God is so important, but it can really be hard to get to know how to get started. But remember though what the writer of the epistle of James says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. The spending of quality time, the spiritual practice of presence, not only needs to be sought in our personal relationship with God, but also in our relationship with our Christian community. Now, I've shared this illustration with you in the past, but I think it's such a good illustration for today's sermon that I wanted to, to share it with you again. I've shared with you in the past that back in the ninth grade, I decided that I wanted to learn to play the guitar. I loved the sound of an acoustic guitar, still do, by the way, and I yearned to be able to make that music, that sound with my own hands. So I got a guitar for Christmas. My brother Stan showed me how to read chord diagrams, which are basically little schematic drawings of exactly where to place your fingers of the left hand on the neck of the guitar. And once you know how to read a chord diagram, you can actually teach yourself basic guitar. And about the same time I started, my friend Mike from our church youth group also started to play the guitar, and we often played together and spent a lot of time talking about guitars and music. In fact, twice in high school, Mike and I took our guitars and just started playing and singing on the streets. Our parents never knew we did this. Uh, Once we went down to the Fort Worth Water Gardens, and another time we actually went, drove all the way to Austin and did this on... uh, Guadalupe Street in Austin, right across the street from the University of Texas. Um, We really weren't supposed to go all the way down there, but we did anyway. But here was the difference. My friend Mike and I played with each other, but Mike also played with a lot of other people as well. In fact, he and some buddies formed a bluegrass band while we were still in high school and later was part of a rock band in college. And it really didn't take long for Mike to become a better guitar player than me. As for me, I took a few lessons here and there, but for the most part, I was self-taught and I didn't play that often with others. And I, did, I became a decent guitarist, but after a while, I hit a ceiling and I was never going to be able to break through that barrier to the next level of musicianship because for me, my music was always more or less a solo activity. And so therefore, my abilities reflected that isolation. Because in truth, to become really proficient at something, it requires practice, both with others and on your own. Imagine a musician in an orchestra or an actor in a play. It's obvious that she or he will not do very well if they frequently miss rehearsal. On the other hand, even if they faithfully attend every rehearsal, if they never practice on their own, they're never going to be very good. Because think about what happens to an actor who never practices his lines at home. Or what happens to a musician that never practices her instrument on her own? And they're both going to be doomed to mediocrity. And I think the same is true of our practice of spirituality. We're never going to grow much in our faith if we do not practice our faith both individually and as part of a religious community. We miss something truly vital if we fail to engage in a vigorous personal habit of prayer, meditation, scripture reading, and other spiritual disciplines. And we miss something truly vital if we fail to engage in worship and fellowship and spiritual formation with the community. Remember that when we take these vows of prayer, presence, gift, service, and witness, we're doing this in the context of the rite of confirmation where we're promising to be faithful to God's church. And part of what we promise to do when we say our vows is to show up to show up in worship, to show up in fellowship, to show up in small gatherings. Because presence means more than just attendance. It means that you're there, not only in body but in spirit. Because to be really present with others means that you're not just there physically, but you are plugged in and you're listening and you're participating. The bounds of care and friendship within a loving church family, those blessed ties that bind They offer tangible benefits to its members. It's a very tangible way for us to love ourselves and love others. We're created to be social creatures, and Christianity is a social religion. One of the most basic concepts of Christianity is that the church is the risen body of Christ in the world. And just as in a physical body, if there's one body part that's cut off or not present... Not only is the body diminished, but that member cannot live or thrive. Now all of us know, of course, I've talked to many people like this, who claim that they do not need the church to feel close to God. They can feel close to God out in nature or even on the golf course. And no doubt one can feel close to God in nature, because I know that I do. But I really think it's actually quite rare to find a person outside of a faith community who possesses any kind of substantial spiritual maturity. The few people I know outside of the church or other organized faith community who are spiritually mature are either part of a non-traditional faith community, I'm thinking something like a 12-step group, or they're taking a temporary sabbatical from church life in order to do some extensive personal work and will eventually rejoin the community. Now recently, like virtually every other church leader I know, I've been thinking deeply about the spiritual concept of presence and what it means in an age of online worship. There was already a trend of online worship before COVID. In fact, if you recall, we started streaming our service on Facebook Live actually two months, uh, three months uh, before the COVID lockdown hit. But the pandemic only speeded up something in our society, and our culture that was already unfolding. And while the consequences, both intended and unintended, of online worship continue to unfold, there are two conclusions that I have reached. First, I think it is vital for us to continue to offer quality online worship and develop ways to develop genuine community online and in a virtual world. That's the way the world is going And that is why we must keep up with it. But second, I believe, at least until technology gets a lot more sophisticated than it is right now, that in-person worship still has an edge over online worship. Because I think in-person worship engages us on so many more levels. And I think it's very very hard to maintain a strong sense of community when we don't see each other face-to-face. But that being said, Those of you worshiping at home, we are very glad you have joined us. And please continue to do so, because I do know there's a lot of very valid reasons why worshiping online may be a better option for you right now. What I would suggest, however, is when you are worshiping online and in person, give the worship service your undivided attention. I know how easy it is to be in an online meeting at the same time checking my email or doing household chores, or petting the cats. Whenever and wherever you worship, whether in person or online, be fully present to the worship service. Because worship is sacred. It's a gift that we give to God, and it's a gift that God gives right back to us. I wanted to close with a story about something that happened to me this week. And as a result, one of many things that has made this for me a very emotional week. But I think... This story speaks to what it means to be present to and present with others within a faith community. Last week I was watching the cowboy game when my phone rang. And normally I'd be quite annoyed that someone was trying to call me during a cowboy game. But considering how bad they were playing, I was happy for the interruption. <laughs> but I could see from the caller ID that it was my friend Regina, and I hadn't talked to Regina in a while, but She and her husband, Herschel, are very near and dear to my heart. I told you the story last week about how many years ago a group of members at my church in Denton had organized to prevent me from being hired as the director of adult education. And during that time, Herschel and Regina were two of my staunchest supporters. They uplifted me with both words of encouragement and with quality time. As I was struggling through what was for me a very difficult period in my life. As soon as I heard Regina's voice on the phone, I knew something was terribly wrong. And she told me that the Sunday before, Herschel had suffered a massive stroke. They had just been about to leave to go out of town. She had gone to the car to put their bags in the car and came back in the kitchen to find Herschel on the floor and they took her, or she took him to the emergency room uh, there in Denton where they, he was careflighted to the emergency room in Plano where they could offer a higher level of care. All this week, he has been then in ICU. He's also had then his adult children with them. But that morning, the morning I got the call, the children had to leave. They had to go back. They, they had things they had to do for their work, for career. After the kids left, Herschel began to go downhill. He got agitated, and he started having difficulty breathing. He told Regina that he was going to die that night. And she tried to tell him that everything was going to be okay, but he insisted. And he says, I'm not going to survive the night. Please call Jane Grainer. And Regina told him that she would call me first thing in the morning. But Herschel says, no, call her right now. So she did, interrupting what was turning out to be a very dismal cowboy game. I listened as Regina told me the story of all that had happened that week. And then I asked if she could take the phone and put it on speaker, because I wanted to pray with both of them. And I then proceeded to offer a a very stumbling, extemporaneous prayer. It was not very smooth. But I was praying with Herschel and Regina for strength and healing. But you know, it really didn't matter that the words did not come out smoothly. Regina told me later that she could see Herschel relaxing as I was praying for him, that after the prayer, he drifted off into a calm sleep. Herschel did not die that night, and I was able to see him and Regina the next morning. But he remains in ICU even after two weeks, and he is struggling to survive. And I'm hoping to visit him this afternoon. And Herschel himself is a doctor, used to being the healer, not to the one that's in the hospital bed. But I can hardly even begin to tell you how very touched I was that when Herschel thought he was dying, he asked for me. And I think it's one of the highest honors and privilege, privilege one can have as a pastor. Because you see, that's what it's like to be part of a church family. We don't just share our lives with each other. We share our depths with each other. And this is especially true for this upcoming All Saints Sunday, November 6th. We in the church share with each other the time of our life. And we are present and we are there for one another. And these kind of relationships can only be forged face to face. We have to be there in a real and a tangible way. But then I was thinking later... Just as I was thinking that there was no substitute for in-person community, I realized that it was technology, albeit a one that's been here for a while, that enabled me to pray with Herschel and Regina that night. Because Regina had a cell phone equipped with a speaker, I was able to intimately pray with them even though we were 30 miles away from each other. And it wasn't that long ago that that would not have been possible. I think we're going to continue to struggle with all the ways that technology both hinders and promotes community. But I do think there are some things that never change. Just like the friends of Job, we can give others the gift of presence as together we stand vigil against the night. May God be ever present with us just as we are present for one another. For where two or three are gathered in my name, There I am in the midst of them. Amen. Remember that you can always find recordings of our service on our website, tumcd.org, on our Facebook page, or audio recordings on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. I now receive this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope today's service was a blessing to you. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we'll continue our sermon series, The Love Languages of God. You can always access our services through our website, our Facebook page and our podcast Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure God bless you in the week ahead we'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church